And today we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 18, and we're going to be talking about how to love others from Luke chapter 18. And it starts with our pride. Loving other people really starts with your pride. And I'm, I don't know about you, I don't know if I was uniquely prideful, but I just remember as a young person, I was so prideful. I cared so much about myself and my image before others that I remember I'd go to school and I think I had something, uh, something good to do or good to say. And then I would say it and it turns out it didn't go very well and I'd get laughed at or whatever. And I would go home and I couldn't sleep at night because I was so crushed by my public humiliation. I remember I was really, I was a short kid and I was good at basketball and I loved it because it was one of the things that I could just take the tall kids to, you know, task for. And it was, everyone was always shocked and everything. So loved basketball. And I remember when I was like in third grade, I was just so excited because we started basketball and gym and uh, the, you know, we picked teams and back in the day, you know, you just put this little funny, like little red vest on. And I was so excited. I wasn't even paying attention to who had the red vests on. <laughs> And uh, they inbounded the ball. My, my team inbounded the ball, and I ran, and I stole it from my teammates, and I shot it in the wrong hoop and nailed the shot. And I was like, I'm amazing. And, I'm, and then everybody just was laughing. I was like, What's, what are you laughing at? That was amazing. You should be cheering. <laughs> I found out I scored in the wrong hoop. And I was just so crushed. I, went out, I just couldn't sleep at night. And little did I know I'd grow up to be somebody who says something humiliating every day. And thankfully, I, I sleep so much better at night because I'm just so used to it. It doesn't even affect me anymore. I sleep like a baby. It would hurt so bad if it didn't happen so much. And the interesting thing is, as often as I've been humbled in my life, you think I'd have learned, but for some reason, I slip back into self-righteousness And the reason why is because that I suffer from devastating spiritual amnesia. And we all do. Look at the Israelites. The Lord can appear to us in a pillar of fire by day and a cloud by night. And as soon as it's gone, and maybe even sometimes when it's there, we're completely blind to his purpose, his will, and himself. We suffer from devastating spiritual amnesia. And we go from being humbled in one moment and realizing, I need the Lord, to the next minute saying, you know, actually, I'm pretty great. And the Lord has got a message for us. If you're in that state right now, if you've been distracted, if you have begun to trust in yourself rather than the Lord, the Lord has a message for us. And I think it's actually a lot of us. I mean, we, we yin-yang, don't we, between just like crushed, being crushed. I'm such a sinner, God must hate me. To, you know, I'm actually pretty perfect. I mean, we just yin-yang back and forth. And I think we, all of us, experience this type of ridiculous self-righteousness at different points. And you see it in a variety of ways. One is that every encounter you come across, you think you're right. And it starts from a, Every conflict, you think you're the hero. You think you were the victor of the argument, the conversation, the situation. And it starts from a young age. We were, you know, had Thanksgiving at my parents' house, I remember, one year. And they had this, you know, smaller home. And, you know, our family was growing. My sister was having all these kids. And I've got these wonderful nephews and this adorable niece. They're all pretty much grown up now. But my niece was like four. And, you know, to accommodate everybody around the table, we had to have folding chairs. And they were in the corner. 
And so it was like, you know, she didn't have a chair. And uh, somebody should have gotten one for her, but we're like, hey, you know, sweetheart, why don't you go get a chair? That way you can sit at the table. So she goes to the corner and she picks up a folding chair and everyone's already seated around the table. And she picks up the folding chair and blammo, just, she delivers a chair shot to her brother that would have made Stone Cold Steve Austin hitting The Undertaker look, look weak in 1997 at WrestleMania 22. I mean, she just blammo, just takes him out. And he's just bawling his head off. And they have this big fight, and we separate them. And everybody calm down. And you know, I take my little niece to the next room. I say, all right, now, oh, sweetheart, we got to go apologize. And she goes, but his head was in the way. <laughs> I mean, just dead serious. Like, why would I have to apologize for that blockhead? Can't he see I'm getting my chair, you know? And it just starts from age. And now that we're older, we're not any better. We just have better filters. And we know how to look good. So when we get in a conflict now, we say, oh, no, 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 that was my fault. No, no, oh, no, 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 that was my fault. Oh, no, no. And we go home and go, what am, did you see that guy? Did you see what they did? I mean, come on. And we think that we're the correct one in every situation. And it shows up in how we treat people. In conflict, it shows up how we treat people in other situations as well. We look down on people. If I have somebody who hands me a burger these days, I'm just so thankful because almost nobody will do it anymore. You know, you go to all these restaurants, their insides are closed. I'm just thankful they're even open. They're usually understaffed. We go to Sam's Club and the line, they have this cafe. You can get a pretzel for a dollar. The poor kid working behind the thing, he's the only one there. There's a line at dinner around the corner and he's out trying to make, I'm just so, thank God he's there. Thank God for that guy. Last year, I wouldn't have thought twice about it. I mean, hey, put some more salt on the pretzel. You just treat people like they're barely even human. It comes from this self-righteousness. You know, Dave Cook had one of the best points in a message I've ever heard last week. I know throughout the Bible, it constantly says, give to the needy, give to the needy, give to the needy. But I look at the needy and I go, they're not deserving. And so I don't like to do it. And I see the person on the corner and I, I see that person and I say, I don't, I don't want to give to that person. There's jobs everywhere. Literally jobs everywhere. You can't get somebody to work. Every store says now hiring. And this person's on the corner. They're not deserving. But I know the Lord needs to get, give, wants me to give anyway because it says in his word. And I never understood why. Lord, why? And Dave Cook had the best point in his message. He had this experience where he gave a guy money and the guy started bartering and auctioneering for more. 20, 40, give me 40, give me 60, 60. I need 60. It's not going to cut it if I get. And Dave's like, this, he doesn't deserve it. He's so offended. And Dave said he realized that God puts people in his life to remind him of how he is to God. I thought that's just the most brilliant point I've ever heard. I've never heard it explained. I don't know. I've been in church for a long time. I've listened to a lot of sermons. I don't know how Dave Cook managed in 20 to 22 to do it, but he did it. He came up with a point. The Lord inspired him with a point. I don't know if anybody's ever said it that way. It was incredible. It was a life-changing moment for me. I was like, that's exactly what I need on basically a daily basis. I need to be reminded of how I am before God. And God brings these people. But somehow, despite all these lessons, I slip back into self-righteousness. And so the Lord, Jesus, is going to tell a story in Luke chapter 18, starting verse 9 for us. 
And if we are in this morning in that condition of self-righteousness, he's got a story for us. Verse nine says this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous to some. If you're here this morning and you're crushed by your sin and you're feeling terrible, you're on the other end of the spectrum, you need to be reminded of God's great love for you. Just because we're sinners does not mean we're not valuable, we're intensely valuable. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And so here in that verse, essentially the whole purpose of this parable is laid out. Righteous means that you are right with God. And if you trust in yourself that you, because of who you are, are right with God, you will treat other people with contempt and you won't love others. And if you want to love other people, You need to be removed from this condition of self-righteousness. If you want to stop treating other people with contempt, if you want to stop looking down on people who do certain sins, if you want to stop treating people who serve you like they're less than you, then you need to be removed from this condition of self-righteousness. When we think that we aren't sinners, when we forget that there's not a single second of our lives that we are anything but completely dependent on God's mercy and grace, we will treat other people with contempt rather than love. I was talking with someone who, had, you know, they're, they're, they're following the culture, they're doing one of these sins that is kind of new, and it's on Satan's mind, it's his pet project, and because it's new, we talk about it all the time in the church. We're like, how can people be acting this way? How can, and we look down and we get frustrated, you look down on them, and I'm talking to this person, and they came up to me. They were the one who came up to me, and they said, you know, I think that you're wrong, and I think this and that other thing, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just, I was immediately just put all of that frustration that I have, all of that pride that I have in myself at being able to read God's word and not follow the culture in this way, all of the conversations I've had which have, you know, dehumanized the situation and turned it into an argument to win, Rather than the person be saved, it just came out. I'm talking with this person, and it's just like, you know, it's just, it's just another dumb argument. And I'm sitting, I'm talking, and I'm just like, you know, how do I get out of this, Lord? Like, where is your spirit in this conversation? And, oh, you know, I do good in a lot of these conversations. I'm doing terrible in this one. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, why? And I, it's because I was forgetting that I'm no better than them. My sin is just as disgusting. My sin is just as offensive to God. I justify my sin in just as pathetically stupid ways. And once I remember that, suddenly the conversation goes a whole lot better. We, when we think we aren't sinners, we treat people with contempt rather than compassion. Who do you treat with contempt? Hopefully this will be healing to people. Uh, the church has treated smokers with contempt for years, and which is ridiculous because they're repentant. I've never met a smoker who's like, yeah, this is great for me. I don't know what's wrong with you guys. Right? But they come to church, and then they smoke in the parking lot, and we're like, oh, what is that person doing? If you're a smoker here today, I thank God that you're here. Thank God that you're here, that you made it through the ridiculous amount of self-righteous, pathetic people who are calling themselves followers of Jesus Christ. 
You know, in Minnesota, we had COVID hit, and we, all, the church, all the church plants lost their buildings because they all met in schools. They all got kicked out. And they started meeting in churches. And the stories of the guys, we'd come back together, and go, I can't believe what you're experiencing. Uh, the dead little dying church, you know, they're big, nobody coming on a Sunday morning. This vibrant young church plant that has no money comes in with all these people to worship the Lord and praise the Lord. They got to use the building on Sunday night because, you know, the other church with five people who are, you know, they've run everybody else out, essentially. They're meeting on Sunday morning. And, you know, they come and, and they find out there's a smoker in the parking lot. They come and say, you can't, you can't meet here if you're going to smoke in our, but there's no smoking in our parking lot. Well, who are you trying to reach? If you're a believer and you're a smoker, praise the Lord. We've basically run an entire group of people out of salvation by judging them. And they're repentant. Anyway, divorced people. If you're divorced here today, I thank God that you're here. Smoking's a sin. Divorce is a sin. And we're going to talk about it in a few weeks. Be praying for that sermon. Because it's an incredibly sensitive subject. Because the church has been so cruel to divorced people. Divorce is a sin, but it's forgivable just like yours. And if you're someone who's divorced and you've sought the Lord's, if you're repentant and sought the Lord's forgiveness and are still coming, I praise God because divorced people have been treated terribly in the church. I was talking with a member just the other day who was talking about how they weren't allowed to serve in church, weren't allowed to do this and that. And, and we do this. We treat people with contempt Blinded by Satan, thinking that we are somehow better than they. And so Jesus got a story to tell for us, for us in the church. He says this in verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now Pharisees, these are people who are just like us. They love the Lord. They're coming to church because they're trying. They care. And in fact, some of these people were trying so hard they would write, in fact, I actually saw a person, a Jewish person, the other day with this. They would write the commandments of God down on a piece of paper. They'd tape them to their forehead to remind themselves, because we forget all the time, to remind themselves to follow God's laws. These people were trying hard. They're admirable in many ways. The interesting thing is, is even though they're trying hard, and they're just like us. They're never the hero of the story in Jesus' teaching. They're always the villain. But they're trying, Lord. They're coming to church on Sundays. They're prioritizing the Lord. They're giving. They're doing these things. But they, the, it's comedic because they always think they're the hero. And they're so prideful. And then through this amazing story, Jesus reveals how wicked and sinful they really are. And they look foolish, and it's comedic. They bring their self-righteousness before everyone, thinking that they're going to be applauded, and then Jesus reveals that they're shooting the wrong hoop. And tax collectors, they're despised. Tax collectors are, I mean, it's awful. I hate tax time. The government says, you owe me money. I say, how much? They say, you're supposed to figure it out. I say, don't you know? They say, we know exactly how much you owe. Well, then why won't you tell me? <laughs> what if I get it wrong? Well, then you'll go to jail. <laughs> I mean, these people are the, uh, the worst. It's the worst. 
Tax collectors are absolutely despised, and everybody hated them. In fact, they probably hated him more back then because he was even more arbitrary and shady. And so here you got a guy who's trying to follow a Lord and another crook. I mean, he's just... Verse 11 says, The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I would love this to be friends with a Pharisee. I'd love to be around him. The interesting thing is, his prayer seems to be more about reminding God how amazing he is and how God should feel so fortunate that he's got somebody like him. But I would love this guy, and I think he would too. He says, and I trust him, these people, you know, were renowned for their trying to follow God's law. Here he says, I'm not an extortioner. You can trust this guy. He's going to be honest with you. You could buy a car from him. He would reveal to you all the problems beforehand. He'd be 100% honest. You could trust. I'd give him my car keys. I'd let him borrow my car. I'd let him watch my kids, babysit my children. This is an amazing man. You can trust him. You want to be around him. You want people like this in your life. He says, I'm not unjust. Like, he's fair. He's going to treat you fairly. What a great guy. We need more people in our culture like that. I fast. I'm not an adulterer. His family can trust him. He's faithful to his spouse. His kids are going to have a secure place to grow up. They don't have to worry about their home being blown up by a guy who's unfaithful. Like, this is a great man. I would, love to be fr- I would love to have this guy in my life. And the tax collector is the opposite. I don't want to see him. He comes and he takes my money and he does so, and he do so back in the day, they'd oftentimes add a little bit for themselves. I don't want to be around that man. The Pharisee's a great guy, but he's sitting there. The purpose of his prayer is to remind God of how great he is. You can trust him. You can't trust the tax collector. And yet, the Pharisee's the villain of the story. And the tax collector's the hero. He continues on in verse 13 with, or 12 with his list. I fast twice a week. We gotta be a praying church. Fasting's a mean of prayer. It's an incredible way of prayer. You deny yourself something that you need so that every time you feel that desire, that need, you're reminded to pray. And so you pray all day. You fast. You get hungry. Every time you feel that hunger, pray. And you think, I need to be praying for Esther Hartzler. I need to be praying for, for uh, the Colemans. I need to be praying. And it's a great way to pray. And we need to be doing this. This guy does this. How many of you fast? Are you kidding me? I'm like, you know, give me another round of Chipotle. I eat until I can't fill myself up anymore. And it's fabulous. But probably also a sin. Anyway. This guy fasts twice a week. He, I give tithes of all that I eat. How do you think we're able to support a building like this? How do you think we're able to support a kinder castle? Because we have people like this man in our congregation, many of you, giving a tenth or even more of what you take. I, I don't look at the names and I don't look at the giving, but, you know, we look at the dots. It's like dot, dot, dot. This household gives this much. Just so you can know and see, like, you know, are we supported by one person or ten? Like, how do, you know, we can see if we need to do a sermon series on giving and things like that. So I don't know how much people give, 
but I probably should because if you can sing, we know your spiritual gift. And if you have the spiritual gift of giving, it's not something to hide. Now, in the Bible, it does say that you don't want to go around advertising it. But I'm not sure if, if you know, we shouldn't, you know, pray for you and know that you have the gift of giving. Anyway, I don't know who gives and whatever, but I see the amount that people do give, even though I don't see the names next to it. And it really knocks my socks off. Some of you are just outrageously generous and you have this spiritual gift of giving and praise the Lord because otherwise we couldn't do what we do. And this guy is one of those guys. You want him in your church. You want him supporting your kinder castle. And the tax collector is the opposite. He's not giving, he's taking and he's sinning. The Pharisee is amazing and the tax collector has been hurting people. He's been hurting people. The Pharisee's been going around blessing people. And the tax collector's been hurting people. You know who the Pharisee really reminds me of? He reminds me of a lot of you guys. And I mean that in the best possible sense. I've gotten to know some of you people. You're fantastic. I can trust you. I'd let you watch my kids. If you needed to borrow, I'd let you borrow my car and I'd know that I can trust you. I'd give you the password to my phone. You're fantastic people. And Jesus has got a story for you. Are you ready to hear him yet? Are you ready to hear what the Lord is going to say to us? He's the bad guy in the story. Why? Not because he's trustworthy. We need that. Not because he's faithful to his wife. We need that. We need to aspire to be like all of those things. But there's one thing that happens as we're aspiring to be all those things. We, we can never be. And that's what happens in verse 13 and 14. It says, But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Oh, I need salvation. I need the Lord. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You guys are fantastic people. I love to have you in my life you might have started to think that you're a little more fantastic than you are. It happens to every one of us. It happens to me. You start to forget that there's not a moment of your life that you are anything but completely dependent upon the mercy and grace of God for your salvation. I need pastors because it reminds me why I'm a Christian. I'm not a Christian because I think I'm a good person. I'm a Christian because it's been revealed to me by the Lord himself that I'm not. And we strive after holiness, which we should, and maybe we do a good job of it. Immediately that pride comes in. I'm not like that guy. And church becomes a museum for saints rather than a hospital for sinners. And we're the reason it happens. We're the reason that the smoker doesn't feel comfortable in church. We're shooting in the wrong hoop. And we need to repent of it. 
We should be aspiring to be as good as this guy. He's, he's the villain of the story, not because he's great. He's the villain of the story because he's forgotten that he's just as in need of God's forgiveness as everyone else. His sin is there. He's just managed to push it way down. He just managed to hide it real good, just like most of us. He's still just as in need of salvation as the person he's looking down on. And if we think that, we'll look down on people and we won't love them. Can you hear the word of the Lord yet? To you in your life, who are you looking down on? Who do you think you're better than? You're in the same basket as everybody else. You're not the hero. Jesus is the hero. It's very disorienting to read the teaching of Christ. He leads you one way, and bam, Austin reveals that things are actually different. It's an incredible teaching style. He's a master teacher. And here he leads everyone in this story of how you think that, and everybody listening was probably religious, that you are the good guy. But in the end reveals that you're just as in need of him as ever. I tell you, one of them goes down to his house justified. It's the tax collector. He's the good guy. He's made right with God. The Pharisee is not made right with God. This can be a salvation issue. There's actually entire denominations of churches that teach this way. That sanctification, which is being made right with God, being made holy, being made sinless, happens now. And that you can be made sinless now. And that appeals to the Pharisees so much. And it's a salvation issue. And I worry about the salvation of anybody who believes that way. Because if you think that you have been made sinless now, not that Jesus Christ is taking the punishment for your sins, not that you're not growing towards Jesus Christ, not that you're not overcoming sin, not that in God's eyes you weren't completely forgiven and restored, but not committing sins. That's what these, some of these denominations teach. You're literally taking people away from Jesus Christ and leading them on the path to hell. Because if we think that we have stopped sinning now, then we stop realizing our complete and utter dependence on Jesus Christ for our salvation. We think, I've made it. And as soon as you think you've made it, you are more lost than ever. Jesus made it for us. And if you ever stop looking at him, you are lost. And you're playing for the wrong team, even though you may be sitting here today in church. If you think you've made it, you're playing for the wrong team, and you need to get back on Jesus' team. He's made it. The tax collector stands at a distance he looks up to heaven, feeling personal unworthiness. He beats his breast, a sign of grief. He's moved to repentance over conviction at his failures. He cares. Do you care about your sin? It's very easy for me. I'm trying not to be a hypocrite here. I'm, I'm right in here. It's very easy for me to completely stop caring about my sin because I think I'm so great. I think everything I do makes sense. And when you think about your sin, you should care. You should be disgusted. You should be horrified. The interesting thing is, is when you're in Christ, you don't feel condemned. 
And so you can talk about it and think about it without feeling like you're horrible and blah. Because you know the love of God in your life. The love of God gives you the strength to address your sin in a healthy way and recognize it, talk about it, admit it, and still have great self-esteem. You know why? Because I'm loved by the Lord. Admitting your sin does not mean you need to be depressed. Without the Lord, we certainly should be. But with the Lord, he gives us such incredible value. We can address it. We can talk about it. Do you care? One of these is the good guy. The good guy cares. He knows how he's hurt God and others. The Pharisee is completely unaware. He thinks he's a great guy. He's causing people like the, like the smokers and the divorced people, all the people who need the Lord and need forgiveness and need salvation. He's causing them to leave the church. He doesn't even know. And he thinks he's so great. He's completely blind to his sin. It's disgusting. One of these guys is a good guy. He cares. He repents. He looks for the mercy of the Lord. Good works are never enough. We should be looking to do them so we can experience the joy, the blessings, the community of God. But it's never enough to do good works. We have to look to the Lord, constantly humbling ourselves, if you want to know, if you're a Christian, imagine yourself standing before the Lord and imagine him asking you, why should I let you in? If you say, I've read the Bible. I served in church a lot. I gave tithes. I was a good guy. I didn't do these sins. I didn't do those things. I wasn't like that guy. You're not a Christian. And this is our natural bent. We make a list of do's and don'ts, the things that we're good at and things that we're not. And we include all the things that we're good at on the list of what people should do. We look at that list and we say, I do all of these. I give myself a high score. And then I look at you and you're not as good as that one thing that I'm really good at. And so then I think you're not quite as good as I am. And then we leave all the things we're bad at off the list. You don't even have to be religious to do that. It's just what people do. Look at, do you drive an electric car? Do you recycle? Are you tolerant? Do you have your vaccine? Are you wearing your mask? This is just what human beings do. And we in the church do it as well. I'm in a small group. I serve on Sundays. I give of my... It's the same thing. We're the same. And yet we look down on them, don't we? And the interesting thing is, even if you look down on a self-righteous person, if we look down on each other right now, because let's be honest, we're like the Pharisee, most of us. If we look down on each other, we're just, we're doing it again. We're doing it again. Following the Lord is fun, isn't it? <laughs> Wrong again. Wrong again. Wrong again. And the great thing is, there's a hero that does make us right. If you point to anything, anything other than Jesus as you stand before God, you're on the wrong team. But the good thing is, you can point to the Lord. If you're a Christian, when you stand before the Lord, he says, why should I have a relationship with you? If you point to Jesus and say, because of him, well, then you're in. If you want to be the hero of the story, you're going to be ending up in the wrong place. But the good news is if you want to be saved, you can be that. And God offers that to everybody through his grace. Romans chapter 310 says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Why isn't this book bad news? It's because of Jesus. When we trust in the Lord, we get his righteousness. And when we trust in the Lord, he takes our sin. He takes our unrighteousness on the cross. We're made righteous not through ourselves, but through Jesus. You can't be the hero of this story, but you can be the one who's saved. And you can point to the hero. And this is 2 Corinthians 5, 29 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Even though we can't do anything right, even in our good works, we sin by looking down and being prideful. It's just every single thing we do, tainted by sin. But it's good news because we're righteous in him. We're the righteousness of God. Even though I can't do a single thing godly, I am made righteous. And it's a happy ending because of the Lord. Romans 3.22 says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Psalms 32, verse 1 through 5. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. When I didn't repent, I felt terrible. Isn't it an interesting paradox? People who don't repent feel horrible when they hear the word of the Lord because they were reminded of their sin, which they just can't handle. But when we repent, you can look at all of your sin and admit it freely and feel free rather than crushed and condemned because that's the miracle of the Holy Spirit and what God does for you. The more you repent the freer you are. The more you look at your sin and say, that's awful, and look to Jesus Christ, you have to do the second part, otherwise you just stew in your own condemnation, but the more you repent of your sin and look at Jesus, the freer and the better you feel. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, but blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Blessed is the person who repents of everything they do. I just repent of it all. I don't want to leave any of it out. If I go do something good, I need to repent because I did it, because I think I'm amazing. I just don't want to leave any of it out. Even in the things that I do that are good, I'm sorry, Lord. And I look to Jesus, and I feel freer than I ever have. If you want to love others, the way to do it is to remember that you're fully in need of salvation by Jesus Christ. And if you want to have joy, you repent of your sin and you receive the righteousness that God gives you. 